0: Uh, well, let me just pray for us, and we can get out of here. Thanks, Alex. I <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, I just thought I'd let Paul do the, the preaching. Um, no, I, yeah, I, I wanted that to be kind of the back of your minds. I'm going to come back to that and, and touch on a few things. But really, just to have the whole thing there, I think, is important for what I'm going to try to do this morning. So, um, Jalen, I'm also going to throw some shade at you, bro. You know, I had, a, I had a work ministry thing last week when the Bucks were playing, and I, and I still went to it, and then came home. <laughs> but... I don't think that helped because we got, your boys beat us pretty bad. So uh, uh, Chris Rodanovich asked, am I going to say anything about Tom Brady? And I was like, I don't think so. And here I am, Tom Brady. Uh, It's been a fun run, so. Um, yeah. So this morning, uh, Faithful to the Core, we're continuing this series. And we're hitting the the second, not necessarily in order two through five, but we're hitting uh, the second of our core values, right, which you see on the screen and the icons behind me, thoughtfully engaged. This flows out. uh, Oh yeah, we also, I got to remember now, we tried a new thing. I've got control of the screens up here. We're going to see how this goes. We're going to see how it goes. So um, yeah, bear with me as I remember and look at Brian every now and then and think, oh yeah, that's right, I've got to do it. (laughs) So Gospel Center, this is where we started last week uh, with Pastor Scott and even the week before that talking about our name and our vision, right, and what Jacob's Well Means that we're here to encounter Break barriers to encounter Jesus together, and that flows out of the gospel, and then all these other core values flow out of that, and so today i are going to talk about thoughtfully engaged, but here is where I want to start us off, uh, this passage that Pastor Scott hit last week, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, which really just encapsulates what the gospel is and even the other core values that are there. From now on, Paul writes, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In a nutshell, like that's the gospel. Humanity being brought back, reconciled with God. For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. And God has entrusted us, for whatever reason, broken humanity, to be his ambassadors, to be those that would represent God in the world, which was the original intent way back in the Garden. That, that God created everything, and then he created humanity to say, hey, go do and be what I would do and be if I were on earth. I'm going to let you as my representatives be that. That's what it means to be an ambassador, to implore people, be reconciled to God. Here's an image we looked at last week as well, kind of a four-word four synopsis of the entire story of scripture, four-word synopsis of the entire gospel, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God created. It was good. The fall. Adam and Eve screwed everything up. We follow in their footsteps. Redemption, Jesus comes to bridge the gap. And one day, he started now, and one day we'll we'll finalize restoring everything back to the way it was. This is the story of Scripture. This is the gospel. And of course, I'd be remiss to not share a, a quote from the Archbishop, Tim Keller, here. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, Rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with Him. That's the reconciled part. And then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with Him forever. And that eternal life starts here and now. That's the gospel. That's what we engage the world with. We engage the world thoughtfully with the gospel because the gospel alone has power to change hearts, to change lives, to change cultures. Right, if, we don't have, if we're not gospel-centered in our thoughtful engagement, it doesn't matter how thoughtful our engagement is. We've got nothing to offer. It's not going to echo in eternity, and it's not going to have any lasting change here and now. The only way to change the culture around us is to offer something new, not just look at them and say, well, you need to change. Okay, give me something, give me something new. Really, we have to create a, a new culture, if you will, a gospel culture. That's what we are sent out with. And and this is Jesus who says, after he's resurrected, he says to his disciples, hey, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Ultimately, why, the real quick, we could wrap up right now, but I'm not going to. Why are we we thoughtfully engaged? Because Jesus sends us out. He sends us out in the way that he was sent from the Father. And so what I want to do this morning is I do want to talk through kind of the who, what, when, where, why, how of thoughtful engagement. Pastor Scott asked me to go back and look at the last couple uh, the last couple uh, sermons on this topic. And so a year ago, uh, Pastor Munoz taught on this and he kind of did this whole, like, what are the opposites of thoughtful engagement, thoughtful disengagement, thoughtless engagement, all these things. And I had already had the same idea and then he, he took it from me a year ago. Uh, but I'm, I'm still going to do it because either you don't remember that or it was so impactful that hearing it again would be still encouraging. Um, and then the one before that, Pastor Scott pops up in August 2020 on a computer screen from his bedroom at home and I was like, wow, that feels like a lifetime ago when we were doing that. Um, But what I want to start with is what thoughtfully engaged is not, and I'm going to borrow a lot from a book called Culture Making. This is Andy Crouch, which if Tim Keller is the archbishop, we use Andy Crouch a lot. I would say he's at least an altar boy, maybe a a deacon. Um, But I love Andy Crouch. Um, We did a discipleship lab in the summer on technology from him. And this book, Culture Making, one of my top five favorite, most impactful books would highly commend this to you um, as, a, as a read. It's really good, but I want to pull some things from that where he just talks about what thoughtfully, I'm going to use the language, what thoughtfully engages not, and I'm going to pull some things from there. And in doing that, I want to use, uh, I wanna use a, a, an example that I think we all can connect with, and I want to try to do it in a lighthearted way, but I want to talk about Halloween. Big claps for that. <laughs> um, I want to talk about Halloween and just pull some things about what it means to not be thoughtfully engaged and kind of tie some of this Andy Crouch stuff in. So what, is, what thoughtful engagement is not, it is not to be thoughtlessly disengaged, right? You see both opposites there. It's not thoughtful. It's not engaged. Thoughtfully, thoughtlessly disengaged. And Andy Crouch uses this word condemn, that sometimes, as Christians, we can try to change culture just by condemning it, right? So maybe uh, for, for Halloween, this looks like hiding in your basement, and not leaving out candy, but instead leaving out a, a, a bowl or a stack of gospel tracts for people to take from your doorstep, right? No shame if you've done that. Um, again, trying to be a little light lighthearted here. But uh, on top of that, it would be just totally unwilling to discuss any involvement whatsoever. Like not only am I thoughtlessly disengaged, I'm not even going to consider it. I'm not even going to think about thinking about it. It's just that's where it is done. I'm never coming up out of the basement on October 31st. Game over. And you have to wonder why. What's going on beneath the surface, right? Is there there a fear of some evil that's going on? Well, we we do well to remember 1 John 4, 4, where John writes about greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We don't have to to fear in that sense, right? Condemning from a distance is not necessarily the best posture to have. Next, thoughtlessly engaged. So still being thoughtless, but... um, but engaging in our thoughtlessness. Andy Crouch would call this critique. Maybe this is on the beautiful platform of social media where you start posting articles about why Halloween is evil and I don't know, may, you know maybe we shouldn't be, we should kind of stay away from it, right? Social media warriors there from unchecked sources, uh, no less, that, that you know are not necessarily valid. Uh, maybe there is a, a willingness, though, to discuss this, and not only a willingness to talk about it, but also uh, a deep intentment, to uh, a deep intent to change other people's opinions. This is where this critique comes in. I'm not just going to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it until you agree with me. Um, that went well over the last couple years on social media, right? Colossians four six, Paul encourages us to. Uh, he encourages us to let our grace be seasoned with salt, be seasoned with grace, to be compassionate and kind in the way that we talk about truth. Next thought. Thoughtfully disengaged, thoughtfully disengaged. Andy Croucher uses this as, as a, a copy. Sometimes we try to change culture by just copying it but putting like a Christian label on it, right? Taking a, uh, a logo, a Coca-Cola logo on a T-shirt and changing it so that it's like Jesus thing, which is fine if that's, if that's what you do. Um, but maybe for Halloween, this is like a, a trunk or treat thing on church property. Um, but there's costume restrictions. You can only, you know, certain things, and there's a dress code that goes with it. And maybe you invite friends, but maybe, maybe they don't feel super comfortable because they're not in the club. This was a quote that I came across um, earlier this week that I thought was really interesting. In a, in a audio, guided audio meditation I was listening to, the guy says, we spend a fortune to show Others that we are Christians with Christian t-shirts, bumper stickers, keychains, etc. But we have to wonder, are these meant to glorify God or glorify ourselves? That's really good when we copy things. Do we do that in such a way that we just create little holy huddles way off to the side that aren't engaged at all with culture where no one has access to? And Jesus, he encourages us in the Sermon on the Mount, hey, be a, be a city on a hill. Don't let your salt lose its saltiness, don't lose your tastefulness. I'm getting a slide change error up here, someone that's smarter than technology than I am. Um. Oh, there we go, okay. Uh, last one, I'm gonna call this, if you're, if you're taking notes you would see the next one should be thoughtfully engaged if you're going by. Um, but it's still, let's see if this works here, I'm gonna call it thoughtfully engorged. And this is, Andy Crouch, would he would call this to be to just consume culture. I mean, this would just be full-on jumping into whatever the latest trends are with Halloween on a, on a college campus. You know, we kind of, we used to have, like, a nice student section over here. This was, like, the student section, and now you're all spread out, which is great. Um, but there's a lot of college students here. This is just going to all the college campus parties and just jumping right in on Halloween, all the crazy stuff. We had, this thing is also, I'm really struggling up here. You can pray. <laughs> Technology. It, the, sometimes technology is of the devil. <laughs> um, Andy Crouch would say, amen into that?" I think sometimes. Um, like we had a, uh, an athlete one time. Allison and I. We work in uh, in ministry on campus at Rutgers, and we had a, a freshman that was hanging out with us one Halloween night, and we took her home later that night, and it was and like that was a bad decision. I did not need to drive over there to to College Ave on Rutgers and just and even see. Let alone there was no consumption, but just let alone see what was going on. Sometimes we just say, "Ah, you know what? Eat, drink, be merry. I'm just going to jump into it, right? I'm going to heaven one day. It's fine. And yet, Jesus would also encourage us in the Sermon on the Mount, where your heart is, that's that's where your treasure is. Don't store up for yourselves treasure here. Don't just consume, consume, consume. You've got a greater future awaiting you. So these are ways in which I think we can miss and the other thing that I think is important that Andy Crouch talks about is the difference between a gesture and a posture. I'm clicking on the thing here, guys, and it's not going. Gestures versus postures. right? He would say that, that our posture, our natural bent, is what's most important. And when these uh, methods of changing culture are our main posture, that's where we can get in trouble. That's where we can be ineffective. That's where we can push people away. If all we do is copy, if all we do is trunk or treat on Halloween and we never ever engage with our neighbors in our neighborhood, if all we do is just stand back and critique, if all we do is condemn, if all we do, then we're missing it. But if we have a good posture, a gospel-centered posture, then we can do certain gestures, certain actions, and it's still going to be effective. There are times to condemn things about Halloween. There are houses in our neighborhood that we just won't even go by. There's people, some in our family have nightmares with some frequency, so we're just gonna stay away. I don't need to put those images in my, my kids' minds. So we're gonna, we're gonna thoughtfully condemn, say, hey, we're gonna go a different way. We're not gonna go by that house. When we went trick-or-treating this year with some of our kids' friends and they wanted to go, there, we were like, hey, that's fine, we're gonna head this way. No problem, a, a, a gesture of saying we're not going there. There is a time to critique, right? with Halloween, maybe it is engaging with our kids. Hey, what did you think about so-and-so's costume? What did you tell me more? What did you think about that? There is a time, I'm not down on trunk or treat at all. There is a time to copy. There is absolutely a time to do that as a gesture, to consume. Please eat the Halloween candy. Go for it. That's great. But when these are our postures, that's where I think we miss. So again, lighthearted kind of thing. We, we are all about engaging with our neighbors on Halloween. We got to do that with our kids this year. They went around with their friends, and it was a great time to hang out and get to know their parents for more than just a quick 30-second, hey, how's it going at, at pick-up and drop-off? It was great. We got to spend the whole evening together, right? Like, Halloween is a time when your neighbors willingly come to your house and, and invite you to theirs. Like, why not take some advantage of that? That's actually uh, the second time we met, but really how we got to know our neighbor, George, who uh, just last week went to his first members meeting here. at at Jacob's well. We met him six years ago. Like We're all about Halloween in the southbound brook. So that's what it is and what it's not. But now I want to walk through kind of the where, or that's what it's not. And I'll explain a little more how I think we should thoughtfully engage the where, the who, the when, all that. Starting with where. Matthew 6.10, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, pray that God's will and kingdom would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And he didn't just say a couple of little few places on earth in your little church building. He said on earth as it is in heaven. So where do we thoughtfully engage? Everywhere. Wherever, wherever Jesus sends you. Everywhere. For to be his representatives. Jesus went anywhere and everywhere. So that's what we do. Easy enough. When? 1 Peter 3.15. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, says this. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. When? Always. He says, always be ready, be prepared. Who? Anyone and everyone. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Like that's actually, I mean, that's what his reputation was. He was a friend of sinners. He was with people who weren't in God's family, trying to reconcile them. This is, a, this is a fascinating scripture, and I, I don't, don't miss the point here, uh, if it's going to come up here for me. 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and I, I recently heard it said that the Corinthian church was like the college church, which I really love that. Like, next time you're not sure where to go in scripture, just read through some 1st and 2nd Corinthians and think about like a college church. I mean, it's like, there's some wild stuff that's going on, and he's writing to the midst of that, and he says, I wrote to you in my letter, this is another letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Don't get hung up on what's meant by sexually immoral and all that. I'm not, I'm not going there. What I want to say is, he's saying, hey, I'm not telling you that there's some division within the church, and that's what he's saying. If people are coming to church and they're doing this other sexually immoral stuff, on you, like, they need... They need some church discipline. That's the context here. The point I want to make is he's, he's saying if you're not going to associate with the sexually immoral people outside of the church, you would have to leave the world. You would have to leave the world. And the implication is don't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. Who? It's the people in the world. Go engage with them thoughtfully. Too many of us, this is where the copying comes in. Too many of us just... We, we just create these little holy huddles and we stay off in our silos off to the side and somehow think that God will go do his thing. Yes, God can and will do his thing and yet somehow he chooses to do it through us. He's entrusted the message of reconciliation to us for whatever crazy reason in his mind. Mission is a who, not a what. Mission is a who. So the who is very, very important. God loves the who. And he loved you enough to send someone to you. Praise God that they thoughtfully engaged in your context so that you're sitting here. But now, now I want to talk about how, and this is where that big, long passage comes into play. What thoughtful engagement is. I want to go to the next one, and then, there we go. Thoughtful engagement is, Andy Crouch would use these words, cultivating and creating a gospel culture. Cultivating and creating a gospel culture. Another way to say it would be, we thought, oh, this is all messed up. I apologize for the technology here. Thoughtful engagement is breaking barriers to encounter Jesus together. That's what we're doing. But we need to be aware of and thoughtful about the barriers that are there and how we engage with them so that we can take them down effectively in order to then encounter Jesus together. And so Paul, on this first missionary journey, he, he offered something new to them. He offered the gospel. He offered Jesus to them. There were a bunch of Jewish Hebrew followers in the nation of Israel. They weren't living there, but they were Hebrew people. And yet he's like, you guys are missing something. There's something new I'm going to give you. I'm going to offer something new to you. It's the gospel. And yet, are you guys controlling it back there or am I still? Okay. Go back to that Andy Crouch uh, quote. Yep. So before we actually offer something new, this is what he says: the first responsibility of culture makers is not to make something new, but to become fluent in the cultural tradition to which we are responsible. Before we can be culture makers, we must be culture keepers. And Paul did that beautifully. Go back to the, the Acts 13, the first one with the yellow highlights. So I, I'm gonna, I know this is small, and it all makes sense to me, and I'm going to really try to make it make sense to you all sitting out there. There's all kinds of color coding. It's going to be great. Um, but it, would, it, it really would be probably most helpful if you have your own Bible tech, technologically or from under the seats in front of you or a hard copy Bible in front of you because I'm going to try to look at the whole thing that Alex just read um, and pull out some things. But in Acts 13, we see some of the, the where, the when, the who. In, in verse 2, they're praying and fasting. And that's where any of this starts. Thoughtful engagement has to start by us engaging with God before we engage with people. And so Paul and Barnabas in this church in Antioch, they're praying and fasting and the Lord says, hey, I want you to set apart Paul and Barnabas, I've got something for them. Paul's still going by the name Saul at that point. So the where is birthed out of time with Jesus, gospel-centered, and then they get sent off and they go kind of all over the place. In verse 14, we find them in this city, in Antioch and Pisidia. They go, go back one more, Brian. We find them in Antioch and Pisidia. They go to the synagogue. That was Paul's MO. He went to the synagogue first because he was Jewish. He was Hebrew. When did he do it? On the Sabbath day. He knew that people would be there. He knew they would be reading scriptures. He knew they would be worshiping. Right? There's some of the, the where, the when. All right, go to that next one, Brian. The who? Men of Israel and you who fear God, the people that were in the synagogue at that time, and then the how. That's what I want to show you. Notice his greeting. Notice the respect and the affirmation, the cultivation that he gives to that. He doesn't say, you guys are a bunch of idiots because you missed Jesus. Some of you might have even been in on the crew that killed him. Like, no, he's like, hey, I see that you fear God. I see that you're so close. I see that. And then watch what he does. The green is just all the ways in which he he continues to cultivate their culture. Now, this is Paul's wheelhouse. He grew up in a, in a Hebrew Jewish tradition. He was, a, he was a Pharisee. Like, he knew this. this. He's doing this sermon with his eyes closed. No preparation because he's so, he was so entrenched in their culture growing up. This isn't hard for him. But he talks about God of this people, Israel. He talks about Egypt and then Canaan, the promised land. And then he talks about the judges and Samuel and then a king. I mean, he just walked through like, I don't know, 1,500 years of history, just like that, because he knows it. But what he's doing is he's buying credibility with those people. They're like, this guy knows what he's talking about. We don't just let anybody come up here and just share, but this guy knows what he's saying. David, David again, talking about John the Baptist in there. Abraham a little bit farther down. He's walking through their history. Even the orange at the very bottom, I know it's hard to see, he mentions about He mentioned, and he's not afraid to call him out and say, you're still off. Those in Jerusalem did not recognize him, Jesus, or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. Just a quick little, this is what's happening right now, guys. What they did to Jesus was because they missed the readings of the Sabbath. Right now, we're reading on the Sabbath. Don't miss it. He's recognizing and affirming their religious activity, what they're doing. Go to the next slide. There's more here. Now he starts quoting their scripture. I'll tell you what the blue is in a second. Now more green. He's quoting scripture. He's quoting the Psalms. Continuing to buy credibility. People know. He knows what he's talking about. And then the blue is the gospel. This is the the new that he's created. He didn't create it, but he's offering it to them, saying, hey, Pilate had him executed. And when they fully carried it out, all that was written to him, they took him down from the tree. They laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. There's parts two and three of the gospel of that four-part creation. You've got fall, and you've got redemption. The crux of the gospel right there, that Jesus died for sins and was risen. And then at the end, this is kind of the the call to response. This is is the, the man's response to the gospel. Through this, man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. He's saying you guys are still in chains, but there's freedom. It's right there. It's right there. The pink is the call. All you have to do, you have to believe, not just intellectually. You have to throw your life onto Jesus. You have to trust. That's probably a better, more accurate translation. You have to trust Jesus. I know it's crazy that he rose from the dead, and you have to kind of own the fact that your people were the ones that killed him through Pilate, but if you just, if you trust him, Freedom. Everything you've been trying to be freed from the law, which was never designed to free you, it's right there. And then the response. Go to the next next slide. What's the result? Well, the dark purple is the good. A lot of people followed him. They converted and they followed Paul and Barnabas. All who were appointed to eternal life believed. But then in the light purple, you got, you know, some people were filled with jealousy. They started reviling him. There was persecution. And yet Paul's not responsible for the result. That's not up to him. I mean, he preached a knockout sermon, and some followed, and some said, no thanks. In fact, we want you to get out of here. The results are ultimately up to him, right? And that's the freedom that we have in thoughtfully engaging with the world. We need to do the hard work, and yet at the end of the day, we get to say, hey, Jesus, it's up to you. He's the changer of hearts. But he uses us, so we've got to take those steps in conjunction with him, (laughs) Again, this is Paul's wheelhouse. The question that I would throw out is where might this be for you? Like where's your wheelhouse? You just, you know that culture so well that you could just jump right in. Where is that, is your place of work? Is it, I don't know, whatever it is. For me, it's, it's, the, it's the sports world. Can't get through a sermon without, I already started with sports, but I'm coming back to sports. Right, this is, this is where I live and work, literally. And so things like the, the intensity of sports it's just, it's a a half step to the gospel things. As we watch athletes just throw everything in their lives towards their sport, which we want to see them win championships, that's great, but their purpose is so much higher. Hey, let's, instead of an audience of thousands, let's talk about an audience of one. What would it be like not to worship your sport or yourself, but to worship God? That connects, that hits with the sport culture. Thank you guys for nodding your heads, athletes. Injuries, trials, they go through hard stuff. Well, Jesus went through some hard stuff. Paul went through hard stuff. Let's talk about what does God have for us in trials and suffering and injuries. Those are ways to connect. And yet, the sports world is ever-changing. Right now in college sports, there's some new things that are going on that we've got to figure out how to thoughtfully engage with. This thing called the transfer portal, which basically says an athlete can say, yeah, I'll play at this school for four years, and six months later be like, ah, never mind, my integrity is not that important, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I can just go to a different school, just like that. How do we we talk about integrity? How do we talk about listening to God's voice of where is God sending you as an athlete, as a college student? College students now as amateurs are making money off of their name and image and likeness. This is a whole other thing. We got to talk about that. What does it mean to steward finance as well? Usually we just said, well, yeah, when you get money one day as a a college grad, then figure out how to steward it. But now they have money for some thousands and tens of thousands of dollars, for some hundreds of thousands of dollars. Fortunately, at least, their 18- to 25-year-old brains are fully developed, and they know how to do that really well. But we have to thoughtfully engage with that. So there's new things. that we ha- How does the gospel speak into that? What does that, what does that look like? Those are, there's always stuff to learn. There's always stuff to learn. Even the post-game interview, the shout-out to Jesus after, a, after a, a game on national television, that's great, praise God. But even that doesn't have the, the impact it used to have. There was a championship game a number of years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, where a guy that was kind of unexpected had a big game and really made the, game, the game-winning play at the end, and they interviewed him afterward, and they said, you know, what do you, you want to say? And he's like, hey, all praise and glory to God and my Savior Jesus. And then the reporter asked him, hey, like, you know, you weren't really talked about a lot leading up to this game. Like, what was your kind of mindset going into this game? And he grabs the mic, and he's like, you know, my whole motivation this whole week was to have a game so that everyone would remember my name. That's what I wanted. And it's like, Jesus, your name, okay. Right, but, but shout outs on national television like that, they have lost their authenticity because of things like that. So how do we engage? Again, sport culture, th- those are the things that I have to think through. What's that like for you? And yet, what if you were sent to a completely other culture? Like, what if I was sent to the music school at Rutgers? Lord Jesus, please don't let it happen. But, like, what would I do? What would you do? And this is going to be some crowd interaction here. There's no, probably some wrong answers, but a lot of right answers. If you were just sent to somewhere totally new, which is what we're about to see for Paul. If you were sent to, someone to somewhere totally new as an ambassador for Christ with the gospel, totally new culture, and even interpret that however however you want, what would be some things that you would do as kind of your first steps? Learn the language. Watch and listen. Good. What else? Food. Learn learn the food. Eat it. Learn to like it. What else? How would you find the food? Who would you watch and listen to? Ask questions. Talk to people. Make friends. You would need to go where people gather. You need to find where do the people go? Where do they hang out? Where is it? Where's the water cooler at? Where's the tavern? Where's the place that they that they want to be? You would find learn the language is great, absolutely. If you can't even communicate, you're not gonna be able to communicate. (laughs) Learn, Learn what they value. Learn what they celebrate. Learn what they don't celebrate. Learn what's offensive to them. Pray a lot. Figure out what's broken in their society, and take your time. Take your time. Alice and I have been here for ten years now in New Jersey, and I've like just kind of figured out the last couple years maybe like some pieces of Jersey culture that we can really speak the gospel to, truly. And I love it. I love it. But there are some things. Think about New Jersey, right? What are some big overarching themes? This kind of underdog victim mentality, right? J- Jesus speaks to that. We are more than conquerors. Jesus overcame death. The gospel goes there. This just, this emphasis on fun and whether the Jersey Shore was an accurate picture or not, this emphasis on just party and celebration. Guys, there's going to be a party in heaven one day, right? The gospel speaks to that. And when you start to think that way, it gets pretty cool to see what happens with that. And this is what Dr. Tony Evans, go to the next slide, Brian. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans, pastor down in, in Dallas, says this, we must tailor our methods to meet our listeners where they are and take them to what they need, the gospel, the free gift of eternal life through faith alone and Christ alone. What they need doesn't change. He's not saying we change the message, but sometimes our methods have to change. So let's look at Acts 17. Acts 17. This is the second missionary journey. And again, I've got some stuff up there, and I'll, I'll walk you through it. Acts 17. In verses 10 through 15, Paul and Silas and some others are being chased out of cities. They're taking the gospel to actually a lot of places where we have letters. Thessalonica's in there. Uh, They're they're being chased out of these cities and they end up in Athens, modern day Greece. So who and when and where? When, verse 16, while Paul was waiting. He had gone ahead of these guys and his his other crew, they were still coming, but he's waiting. And he's not just like, he, he got the early train to New York City and he's just sitting in Penn Station hanging out and his guys will be on the next one. Like, he was waiting for days, weeks maybe, maybe even months, who knows? But while he was waiting, that's the when. What was he doing? Well, one, his spirit was provoked with him within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. There's even a little bit of green. He, he's starting to cultivate. He's starting to observe. He's not just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. He's walking around, looking, noticing, observing. And so he goes to the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons, right? We already saw that. Acts 13, is, that's an example of that in a different city. And then he goes in the marketplace every day. That's the where. In the marketplace every day. And that clue there every day, like, again, he's not just, oh, my guys will be here tomorrow, but I'll go to the marketplace. Like, he doesn't know how long he's gonna be there. And while he's waiting, he's active. And those who happen to be there some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. These are Greeks. That's the who. These are like the super educated of the day. Don't care about Hebrew and Jewish tradition. Doesn't matter. But they hear in the blue there, Jesus is pre- uh, uh, Paul is preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And like, whoa, coming back from the dead. I don't know about that. But we want to hear more. So they take him to the Areopagus or Mars Hill. This was, this was like uh, I mean, Times Square, people don't really just get up and preach. But th- this is a place where a lot of people go, right? This is a place on campus, right? This is maybe Brower Commons at Rutgers or whatever place at Princeton where people do that. And they, they listen, they exchange <laughs> ideas. What, I mean, yeah, you know, whatever sounds smarter than that. <laughs> I was a public school kid too, so it's fine. Now, all, verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there Paul noticed, and Luke is careful to point this out in writing it, that they would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. Paul recognizes this. What is he about to do? He's about to offer something new, the gospel. He knows that. All right, so let's let's see what he does. How does he cultivate? Again, notice his greeting in the red. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're a bunch of idiots and you have no idea what you're talking about. No, he's like, you're very religious. You're right there. I saw, I walked around your city. I saw all the stuff. I observed the objects of your worship. I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. There's a little bit of the blue. The gospel, is starting that. The God who made the world, everything in it, Lord of heaven and earth, could not live in temples made by man. He noticed some temples in the city that were made by man. He's like, that's not how it is. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Go to the next one, Brian. There's more a little farther down in 28, now he's quoting, not scripture, this is wild, but he doesn't quote a lick of scripture in the sermon. He's quoting their poets. He's quoting their musical artists. He's quoting their statues. He's quoting their advertisements of the day, their billboards. He says, I know that you think in him we live and move and have our being, and even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. God of silver and stone, in verse 29, in the image formed by the art." and imagination of man. He's like, I've seen all this. You guys are right there. But let me tell you what you're missing. And really, he does the first and the fourth part of the gospel. He talks about creation, the God who made everything. And then at the end in verse 31, he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And all this he has given us assurance by raising him from the dead. He still talks about the resurrection. It's right there. But he kind of does the the other two pillars that we looked at of the gospel. What's the call here? Notice it's different in the pink there. It's to repent. Repent and believe. Two sides of the same coin. But here he knows they'll believe in anything and everything. That's what these people are doing. They need to forsake all of that and repent and and turn from that and believe in one God, the one who has power over death. Notice even in the orange, I forgot to mention that. They seek God, perhaps find their way toward him and, and feel their way toward him and find him. Again, he's saying, that's what you're doing right now. That's why you've been me here. You're doing it right now. I'm just going to tell you, it's right there. How did they respond? Well, yeah, some mocked, some joined him. Again, the result is not up to him. But I love how he quotes their prophets and their poets of the day. So let me quick compare these two side by side. Go to the next one here. Where? In Acts 13, it's Antioch and Pisidia. It's the synagogue. In 17, it's Athens and the marketplace and the Areopagus. Very, very unreligious places. Next, when? On the Sabbath in Acts 13, because that's when the religious activity would happen. 17, it's every day. Every day he was in the marketplace. Who? Jews in 13. Greeks, very irreligious, non-Jew people in, in 17. And there was some overlap for sure, right? Paul mentions this even in Romans 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of salvation to all who believe, to the Jew and to the Greek. And I think, I think there is part of, in, in him saying that, especially if you look at the rest of Romans, like him saying that is, yes, very much like I know I'm going to have to stand in the Colosseum one day and say that Jesus was dead and now he's alive, and that's crazy, and people will shame me for that. But I think he's also saying, I'm not ashamed of something that brings to- two totally separate people groups together. Because that doesn't happen anywhere else in the New Testament in that era other than the church of Jesus. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it brings people that hate each other together. And I'm not ashamed to have Jew and Greek friends. right? We follow in his footsteps in that way. Uh, What's next? How? He goes through Israel's history in Acts 13. In 17, just observations of the city, their religious activity, their altars, their poets. What? In 13, again, he, Jewish rulers through Pilate executed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. He offers forgiveness of sins and freedom from everything from which the law could not free. Very, very religious, and perhaps even some of you, if you've been in church, that, that sermon that Alex read for, that, hopefully that sounded familiar. If you've taken some of our discipleship courses about kind of the history of scripture, hopefully that sounded familiar. Acts 17, that wouldn't have flown. So he, he, he goes a different route. God made the world. He's Lord of heaven and earth, and he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he raised from the dead. That's what got their attention. What's the result? Oh, what next? Believe in 13, repent in 17, and then what's the result? Yeah, many followed, also reviling in 13. Some joined, some mocked in 17. Here's what I want you to think about. What if Paul had totally flipped these two sermons? What if they had been, right, if if you're like, ah, the method's not really that important, what if he had totally flipped these? Right, what if he had shown up in the synagogue in 13 and been like, uh, guys, God made the world. He did. He made it. Everything. <laughs> They'd be like, "You're, yeah, we, we already know that. Tell us something we don't know, Paul. What if he shows up in 17 in Athens and starts talking about all this history of Israel? They'd be like, we're, we're, in, the, we're in the Roman Empire. We stomp on Israel. We don't care about Israel. Why are you talking? What, what is this about? Right? These two chapters are probably not even in Scripture. Now, was it up to Paul to come up with this cool, make sure he, not necessarily, but did God entrust to him the ministry of reconciliation? Yes. Right. So we have to be thoughtfully engaged. We have to cultivate the culture that we're in. We have to learn it. We have to get our hands dirty. And then we trust God to bring about something new as we talk about the gospel, the fact that someone was dead on our behalf and yet rose again. Consider here, and by the way, this is, This is what Paul meant by saying, I'll be all things to all people, right? These two chapters, in my opinion. This is what he means. I can be Jewish to the Jews. I can be Greek to the Greeks. There it is. And some believed. But consider how much Paul needed to know and love and experience the gospel. Like, he had to know it really well. But also consider how much he needed to know and love and experience each of those cultures, Again, the Hebrew, the Jew, like that was his wheelhouse. That was where he grew up. He knew that inside and out. He had to take time to learn another culture, and he did it beautifully. For some reason, again, God has entrusted to us this ministry. So that that brings us to the why. Why thoughtfully engage? Ultimately, John 20, 21. I mentioned this earlier. Jesus said to them, this is is, uh, the day of the resurrection, Peace, Jesus said to them, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In the book of John, Jesus actually, he refers to the Father more by the phrase, him who sent me, than any other, any other way. And John even uses that word sent more than any other gospel writer. I mean, they all use it a lot, so it's not, it's not, uh, it's not like a huge disparity, but he uses that word more than any other writer. He's picked up on this, this idea that as an identity, we are sent. Jesus was sent from heaven to earth, from the Father, and he says, in the same way, I'm sending you. So go live sent. And yet, if we're not gospel-centered in our sentness, we have nothing to offer. And so what's, what's interesting in a few, let's see, yeah, three, four days before this, John chapter 15, the night Jesus is arrested, he's telling his disciples, hey, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The exact same words, the exact same structure in the original language, except for the one word difference, that he's loved. Right? And John picks up on this too, because he talks about himself all the time, throughout, as we'll see throughout the book of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He clearly has this idea that there's two main identities that Jesus has for us, loved and sent. Loved and sent, because those are the identities that the Father gave him, and now he gives them to us. And we get to carry his name in a thoughtful way to the world around us. We, we don't have to make a name for ourselves. We don't have to be like that guy in the post-game interview that's all about my name. We get to carry his name knowing that we are loved and sent. And we don't always do a great job of this because we're like little kids who try to help their parents shovel the driveway. There's this one uh, GIF that I've seen. And if you don't know what a GIF is on the internet, I don't even know how to describe it. Find, find a really young person here and ask them what a GIF is. It's like a little looped video that just goes, right? And so there's this dad who is shoveling like a monster pile of snow, I would assume, in their driveway. And there's a little, like, he, he, can't, be, he can't be more than three, two and a half, two maybe. Comes up with his little shovel next to dad. And he's going to help, right? He's going to help the mission here. He's going to help the ministry of shoveling the driveway. Now, dad owns everything, right? It's his driveway, but he's letting the kid be there. And the kid puts his shovel in the ground, and it's stuck, and he falls over flat on his face in the snow. And you just see the dad reach down and pick him up. And the first time I saw that, somebody was like, this is us helping God advance the kingdom. <laughs> right? We're like, here we go, guns blazing. I got my shovel, Lord. I'm going to change some culture with the gospel, and we just fall flat on our face. And yet, like, God, like, he's not concerned. He's not, he's not counting our our pounds of snow per shovel he's not counting how fast we can get it cleared out he knows it's going to make more work for him he knows he's going to have to clean up our mess he just wants us to be out there with him and then to get along with each other to not fight over the shovel with our brothers and sisters right he just says hey let's yeah let's go do this together this will be great come on yeah it's going to be more work for me but i'm just glad that you're out there so grab a shovel guys Carry his name. Let's learn and be thoughtful about the places that we've been sent with the love that we've been given in a gospel-centered kind of way. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks, Jesus, that you in your just sovereign mercy would choose to love and send us. What a, what a thought. God, might we never tire of, of being amazed by that? Might we never uh, lose sight of what it costs you? to love us and to send us. God, I pray for my friends here that they would take time today, this week, to to really thoughtfully consider what does it mean to engage the world around them. Lord, I pray that you would even lay one person on their heart right now, a who of the mission, that they want to engage with in a more thoughtful way. God, I pray that you would open their eyes to see ways maybe they have missed, to see your mercy that covers that, and then to see how you're at work and how they can join with you. God, not to change the message, but to tailor the method in a way, yeah, that carries your name. So, Lord, I pray that we would embrace that by your Spirit's power in Jesus' name. Amen.